This is Haunted America Radio. With your host, Al Shepard. And now, Haunted America Radio. Welcome. I'm Al Shepard. Before we listen to today's interview, I have a story for you from a fine writer. The story was written by writer Michael Gore from his book, Do Not Open. You may find his books on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. So let's listen to part one of Do Not Open. The wake was awful. The funeral was beyond devastating. Losing her dad was something Tia never wanted to imagine. And yet, here she was sitting alone in the back of a beat-up limo, on the way to the $14-a-person funeral reception. She had hated how much the center wanted and spent over an hour and a half arguing with them and negotiating a price, each time removing an item to make the cost more palpable. In the end, it went from a high-end lunch with Beef Wellington at $24 to a simple chicken and fish option $10 lower. Saving $10 ahead was the best feeling Tia had since her dad had died, especially since he was always so cheap and would have been proud of her negotiation skills. In the end, though, it was a sliver of solace in her ocean of pain. At 51, having two ex-husbands and one venomous child who left for college 10 years ago and never looked back, her father was the only consistent thing in her life and now, he was gone. For over 30 years, Dad smoked a pack a day, sometimes two, drank a 30-pack of the cheapest beer he could find every week, and ate more processed meats in a single sitting than any human should do in a month. Death should have called him years earlier, and yet the heart attack that took him in his sleep at 74 was the most shocking thing Tia had ever experienced. More than when her mother died of suicide when she was nine. Mom had been gone so long she didn't think much of her. But when she did, she always heard the line, I'm going to go get bread for dinner, Tia. I'll be right back. Rang in her head. Mom never got bread. Instead, she stopped her car in the middle of the bridge and jumped into the Connecticut River. She would have lived if she hadn't weighed herself down with ankle weights and rocks in all of her pockets. It was planned, and yet she said she would be right back. Tia had deep personal issues with the trauma that both husbands blamed for the divorces. But Tia disagreed, and she said she grew up good and normal because her dad stepped in and took care of her better than two parents could have. The day Dad told her her mother had died, he got down on both knees so he could look into her eyes and said not to worry. That she would never be alone and that he would always be there for her. And he was, until now. Dad was her constant, the only consistent person in her life that she could always call, run to, or depend on for absolutely anything. From boy trouble in her teens to a DUI in college, to the divorces, Dad was there with a big hug, an arm around her shoulder, sage advice, 
and even financial or physical help when needed. Alone in the back of the limo, her mind raced with all the times he was there and all the comforting things he did. From the ice cream parties to cheer her up to flying to Italy to comfort her when her new semester abroad boyfriend left her stranded in an ocean villa with an astronomical bill. Even just last week, Dad had shown up unannounced on a Thursday night with two pints of ice cream. Like always, he let her pick which flavor she wanted, mint chocolate chip, and the movie they watched as they savored every scoop of the creamy goodness. God, I loved him, Tia thought to herself before breaking down in heavy and uncontrollable sobs for the first time. It took Tia almost an entire week after the funeral to get the nerve to enter Dad's home, which, of course, she was set to inherit along with everything else he had. Dad was a blue-collar worker with an average ranch home, but with everything combined, it would let her retire a few years early, which made her smile as that was her dad looking out for her one last time. It was her childhood house, and she felt more at home there than in her own. Walking in for the first time without her dad being inside waiting for her with a warm hug was like entering an empty Disney world with all the rides and lights off and the characters gone forever. The happiest place on earth was no more. Sliding the door open, smelling that all-too-familiar smell, which she could never place, but just called it Dad's Smell, made her heart throb with longing for one more hug. She had cried enough for a lifetime in the past week, yet a few more tears spilled out of her eyes as she looked around the room, taking in how quiet and how still it was. After walking around smelling and touching things like she was in a sappy Lifetime movie, Tia made her way to the refrigerator, knowing she had to clean that out first. It was an odd task, and hard seeing the things her dad had put away to finish or planned to eat that week. But no matter what it was, it went into the big black trash bags, then right into the bins outside. With that task done, she sat at the kitchen table and took a break while sipping on the one Pepsi she saved for herself. The memories from decades in the kitchen were all there, fighting for her attention. But she had had enough of playing memory lane and push them aside to think of the business aspect of death. Normally, anything to do with any big decisions or business issues, Dad would be the first call. Then he'd be there to help her make the decision, or at least for support. Now, now she was completely alone. This weighed on her heavily, but she knew if Dad was looking down on her, he would want her to pick up her head and do the work. While she decided to have an auction company come and sell off the contents in the house, she still had to go through every room to take anything she wanted and to find any important paperwork. Well, if you want to find the paperwork, the obvious place to start is in the office. The voice of her dad was soft in her head. It made her smile, even though she knew it was her own thoughts. Dad's office, which was the smallest of the three bedrooms in the house, was a place she had been many times. Though she never spent more than a few moments in the memorabilia-filled room, the walls were covered in pictures, 90% of which were 
her at various stages in her life. There were some news articles, framed records, and of course, Dad's Beers of the World collection that rimmed the top of the room on a wooden shelf. Dad always prided himself on the collection and showed any visitor the bottles he got and drank from around the world. Tia felt a bit of sadness creep in when she realized that something her dad had treasured so much would simply be recycled soon. One man's treasure is another's trash. Ignoring this revelation, she sat at the desk and started her work. An hour in, she had gone through everything on top of the desk, including the stack of unfilled bills and knickknacks that Tia wondered why Dad kept. It was weird to see the inside of Dad's drawers. She was so close to him and had come to his house every week. Yet, these things inside his drawers were a mystery to her. Why did he keep four smooth and ugly rocks? Why did he have an entire drawer full of enough pens and rulers to supply a school? Why was one drawer absolutely empty when every other drawer was filled with various junk? Tia started to realize you could know someone deeply, but never completely. The only drawer left was the bottom right. It was the same size as the other two drawers above it, and Tia expected to find more desk-type stuff. As she reached for it, with no warning, one of Dad's prized bottles, a green one with a bright yellow sticker of an orange sun, fell off the shelf and shattered right behind Tia. Having not worked out since her high school gym class and Having eaten a steady diet of Dad's bonding ice cream for the past 20 years, Tia's chest tightened, and a million tiny needles flew into her heart as if thrown by an invisible force of angry warriors. The lack of breathing and the chest pain scared her more than the bottle had. It was so bad she ran out of the room into the kitchen to grab her cell phone to call for help. But by the time she had it in her hands, the tiny darts fell out, and she was catching her breath. After five minutes of slow breathing and a dozen sips of soda, Tia made her way back to the room with a dustpan and a broom. It wasn't until she was kneeling and picking the shards did she start to wonder how the hell the thing fell. Tia was upset that the bottle broke, knowing that her dad would have been devastated to lose one, but at the same time, she knew all of their fate would be similar. No one was going to want old, dusty, empty beer bottles. But how did it fall? Reminding herself that she is an atheist and didn't believe in ghosts, she let go of the incident and sat back down at the desk after throwing the shards away. Reaching for that last drawer once more, she felt her heart start to speed up. She tensed, waiting for another bottle to fall. But nothing happened when she slid the drawer out. Inside the dark wood of the drawer was a black lockbox that fit snugly inside, taking up every ounce of space. This was curious to Tia, as she had already found Dad's important documents, like his passport and will and credit cards and such. What would Dad lock in here? A queasy feeling of fear and excitement started to flow through her body. Tia had to use a letter opener to lift the box up enough for her to grab it out as she couldn't get her fingers around it. With it on top of the desk in front of her, seeing the words etched into the side, 
the excitement of it possibly being money dad hid, vanished. Carved into the side of the box, deep into the black paint with crude letters was, Do not open. Destroy. Dad. Tia swallowed hard as her mind raced, wondering what could be inside. Love letters? Sex tapes? A gun? She had always listened to her dad, took his advice as the law, and always, always respected what he asked. He was just too damn good to her not to. Disappointing him was the worst thing she could ever think of doing. Yet she knew from the second she found the box that she would be opening it. Part of her wanted to sit and pretend and debate what to do, so she could feel better about her decision. But it was pointless. Grabbing the metal letter opener, which reminded her more of a fancy knife used to kill someone you loved with rather than to open paper with, she jammed it between the crack and the lid. The metal scratching sound was like demons screaming in her ear. After several metallic screams, she realized the demons were telling her the key had to be in the damned house. Two minutes later, she had the small silver key in her hand. It was right there on his keychain, next to his shed key, sitting there inconspicuously all these years. The key was in plain sight, the box just in a drawer. It can't be all that bad, Tia thought as she stuck the tiny key into the lock. Lifting the lid, her mind went blank with confusion at the sight of four neat and organized rows of mini-DV tapes. She hadn't seen those old camcorder tapes in years, yet here were dozens of them, each one of them labeled with a date and initials afterwards. Tia could not fathom what was on them and why her father would have them locked up with a warning to throw them out. Her stomach rolled as if it was falling down a steep hill uncontrollably. Tia didn't have a single memory of her dad having a video camera. In fact, she was positive he didn't. There were no childhood videos of her. None. Dad had always just had a cheap film camera he used on vacations. Never a camcorder. Picking up one tape, she looked at it. 42492 JM. Tia assumed it was a year and maybe someone's initials. While Tia hadn't had sex in almost a decade, she wasn't a prude. She understood that these could be sex tapes her dad made. The idea repulsed her, but it also didn't make any sense. Dad never had a girlfriend. Not once in her entire life. When she was older, she tried to set him up, but he refused. The curiosity was starting to boil over. That was part one of Do Not Open. Be sure to listen to my next episode to hear the conclusion of this interesting tale. If you just can't wait, you can purchase the book Do Not Open by Michael Gore on Amazon right now. Now here's today's interview. Corby Mitlide has always been the different one. A writer and visionary in a completely medical family, her father's a doctor, mother's a nurse, and brother's a doctor, she's always made her own path rather than take one cut for her by others. Now, Leaving an Ivy League university after two years, Corby struck out to find where joy and purpose lived, regardless of what she was 
told she ought to do. The path wasn't easy. Two marriages which didn't last and a constant search for that partner who understood. A succession of jobs, a series of spiritual paths, moving from Cambridge to Philadelphia to Poughkeepsie to New York City to Atlanta. Then out of the blue, breast cancer. Not once, but three times. Life became a roller coaster with no breaks, asking Corby to survive divorce, abuse, poverty, and life-threatening illness. But through all of this, she learned the value of the examined life, meeting challenges and always asking the next question, facing each new situation with strength, courage, and humor. Today, Corby brings a full toolbox to her job as a beacon of manifestation and vision for her clients. Using her skills as a certified tarot master, psychic medium, past life specialist, and channel. Her career now spans the globe with clients worldwide. Her talents as an intuitive are featured in best-selling books. Still, her clients treasure her attitude of, I'm not special, you can do what I do. Well, let's learn more from Corby Mitleib. I've already given you this glorious introduction, but how about yes. you tell everyone about you? In your words. That's, that's the 30-second elevator speech. When I was nine, I read a book called The Witch Family by Eleanor Estes. And instead of thinking, ooh, that's scary, or ha, 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 I thought, and your point is, I knew there was magic in the world. I wanted to go find it. Fast forward to 1973, when I was a senior in high school, working part-time at Spencer Gifts, and they had the James Bond 007 Tower Deck, and I bought it. Because we were all hippies then. You had your elephant bell bottoms and your David Crosby fringe jacket and your deck. Now, five years later, everyone else had moved on to roller skates and disco balls. I was still reading the cards. They fascinated me. So for 20 years, I read for friends, learning to keep my ego on the shelf and be a clear channel for the information. Then all of a sudden, in the early 90s, I could do hands-on healing and talk to dead people with no training. That's when the universe handed me my draft notice and said, hello, you're working for us. Psychic work part-time, meanwhile, a very checkered career. Actress, author, inspirational speaker, writer for the graphic novel series, ElfQuest, video producer, legal assistant, executive recruiter, always the psychic work on the side. On 9-11, when we watched the towers burn, I turned to my husband. I said, I need to do this work full-time. People need to know there are other answers out there. He said, I believe in you. Go do it. So one more year in corporate and then out into the world full-time psychic. It's been more than 20 years. Uh, I work six days a week. I read a thousand people a year and I get to get up in the morning. I don't have to get up in the morning. That's the biggest difference. Awesome. Awesome. Well, now I know why I have no talents because you have them all. Um... <laughs> Darling, I am not special. Anybody can do what I do if they want to. Honestly. Every psychic tells me that. Every psychic tells me that everyone is psychic, and I am about as psychic as a rock. Um, mm -mm. I actually... We are all, we're all wired the same way, Al. It's your circuit breaker. I went and had a five-hour past life regression session a couple weeks ago mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and got pretty much nothing. Basically, my spirit guide told me I am unable to focus. <laughs> 
because I was just getting all this random stuff coming at me, and I'm like, I just don't get it. Like I said, I I I can't figure out what all this stuff is, and and pretty much the lady told me that yeah, your spirit guides pretty much showing you the fact that you can't focus on one thing long enough for him to give you any useful information. <laughs> That's right. So that was kind of a letdown. It doesn't mean you don't have the wiring. I mean, for all we know, you could be a psychic Maserati, but no gas in the car and the brakes are locked. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I have to focus better on my meditating and things like that. So do you... Uh, if you want to. I mean, it, everybody can do what we do, but they don't have to. Right. Don't let anybody tell you, you could do this if you'd only work harder. Oh, please, we heard that in third grade spelling. <laughs> it seemed like to me the the best best psychics were pretty much born that way, and they just all of a sudden it just showed up. You know, they didn't have to really work hard at it. That's How about you? Um. I haven't had training, but a lot of it is trial and error. You have got to get your ego out of the way. You have got to, there are six words that are absolutely vital if you're going to be a professional intuitive. Praise and blame, all the same. And I learned those from my dear friend and spiritual mentor, Wendy Peeney. She's the one who draws and writes ElfQuest with her husband, Richard. Um, because you'll have fans. When you're good, you'll have fans. And they'll tell you that you walk on water and just get your ankles wet and you will believe it. And then you have someone who says, you didn't get my Aunt Mabel and you were two times wrong in a half an hour. So you're trash and I'm going to tell everybody else you're terrible. Besides, you're just supposed to sit there and tell me stuff and I'm just supposed to sit like this. I'm sorry. That's like trying to climb Everest in sneakers, honey. There's no grip. Now, there's a wonderful line in... Joni Mitchell's Don Juan's Reckless Daughter. Puffed up and strutting when I think I win, down and shaken when I think I lose. That's praise and blame. If you're going to do this work, and you know that you're here in service, you're just a tool, neither of those can matter. I'm not going to say shit, I'm going to say can. Because if you're letting somebody else tell you whether you're good or not, your ego is going to shift the information. You cannot be sure that you're going to give them the right stuff if you're worried they may not like you. Right. Yep. You just basically have to say whatever pops into your head and not worry about the mm -hmm. consequences, right? Okay. And, and you may think that you're nuts because you tell someone, I'm sorry, I'm seeing a plaid rutabaga on a fire engine. And to you, it sounds like you need a straitjacket. But they look at you and start crying and saying, that is the last drawing that my grandfather made for me before he died. You cannot judge what you're getting. Just out. That's crazy. Um, so for those of us who aren't interested in doing it for a living, but like me, I just want to connect with my spirit guide. I just want to talk, to, you know, any, sure. any, any tips there on how to do that? Well... <clears throat> I'm going to recommend to you the book that I recommend to everybody who does that. No, you don't have to be a pro. It's called Opening to Channel, How to Connect with Your Guides by Sanaya Roman and Dwayne Packer. It's how I learned. And it's a good book because it basically keeps you safe, tells you what to believe and what not, gives you the exercises. And no, you never have to let anybody know you're doing that. 
but at least that gives you guardrails, like on the highway, so that you don't get crazy. You learn how to ground center and shield. That's boot camp. You have to. Um, you learn not to. Don't use a Ouija board. Jesus. Um, don't. Ouija boards, when you don't know how to ground center and shield, are like throwing open your door in a strange neighborhood and yelling free beer. You don't know who's out there, but they heard you and they're coming. I interviewed Dustin Perry 13 years ago, and he says, he says, Ouija boards don't scare me. He says, I don't think the devil made a pact with uh, Warner or Milton Bradley or whoever it was that made the board. He says, I think they got better things to do than to, than to worry about a, a piece of wood. So, <laughs> well, so. the thing is, the, the, it's look, it's thought forms. All of us think about Santa Claus. There's energy out there now. Ouija boards, people think they're toys. So they just play, no grounding, no shielding, nothing. I have had to handle two hysterically terrified teenagers because after they saw Daisy and Anna use one on Downton Abbey, they just grabbed it, put their hands on the planchet, said, who's there? And spelled very fast backwards was, I have an axe and I'm here to kill you. Trust me, it was not their Uncle Danny. Hmm? And for everybody who says it's a toy, because this comes up a lot. When I lecture, I say, okay, who here has a kid or a grandchild under 10 and hands go up? I say, you, what's the kid's name? Josh. All right, how old is he? Eight. Joshy comes to you and says, grandma, grandma, guess what? I got all A's on my report card and you said we could go get a new toy. Let's go. And he drags you into the toy department right over to a box that says, my first chainsaw. It's in the toy department. Going to let him play with it by himself? I don't think so. So it's a tool like anything else. Tarot cards are not evil. Crystal balls are not evil. But because so many people don't know how to use it, that's what makes it dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can remember I was probably 18, 19. Was at that age where... You know, we we're doing a lot of drinking and a lot of other things and everything. And we all decided we we're going to sit down with the Ouija board. And Buddy and I wouldn't even talk to us. But our, our two girlfriends, they sat down and it just started talking. And it was going fast enough where I had to stand behind him and actually write it down. And, and one of the things it said was, be nice to your girls and love me too. And I'm like, okay. And then it said it wanted to go upstairs. So we moved the whole table and everything upstairs at the top of the stairway. And uh, they were getting more answers. And then all of a sudden, uh, the lights went out and a blue flash went through the whole house. And I was out the back door. And that was it. I'm, so. I bet you were. <laughs> I, no matter how much I drank, it wasn't enough for that. <laughs> but, so I tell uh, you. Yeah, so I learned back then that, uh, yeah, we don't really screw with that. So we actually gave the board to someone else, uh, his sister, I think it was, and she took mm -hmm. it home, and the board wouldn't work for her. All it said was, I want to go home, <laughs> and it just wouldn't work. So, yeah, anyone who thinks it's a toy uh, needs to think again. So, um, but yeah, I was sitting here trying to connect to my spirit guide and I was just getting blank, just black, nothing. And then all of a sudden in block letters, I see the name Jack and that was it. Nothing else went all black again. That was all I got all night long. 
But I'm assuming that's his name, but I don't know for sure because I've never been able to talk to him to verify it. But anyway. All right. You've got so many things. Huh? Spirit guys change. Um, they do? They do. You remember Venn diagrams in math? You had the two circles, and then in the middle, there was the thing that was in the middle. Well, the Venn diagram for angels and spirit guides is a donut. In the middle are your angels. You got at least one. They're with you from birth to death. It's like they have their names in the back of their tunics, like cam tags, I belong to Al Shepard. Spirit guides grow and change as we do. You wouldn't have your same teacher from kindergarten to PhD. Your spirit guides change as you grow and what you need changes like a teacher. So you got Jack once, but it could be that you're going to get Quincy in a year and a half. <laughs> okay. Cause I've never heard anyone say that before. So that's, in, that's very interesting because I do know after reading Michael Newton's books, mm -hmm. um, how, you know, all souls are trying to progress to become mm -hmm. the perfect soul. So it does make sense that my spirit guide would eventually uh, rank up to the next level and then go on and to a, you have more than something one. different. Yeah. You have more than one. And, and he's also, yeah, in his books also mentioned some people having two. And I guess that could be the wiser one training the younger one. And you're going to take my spot when or, I leave, you know. Or, or for different purposes. Okay. My father was my best friend. He was a fabulous cardiologist. He's dead since 01. But he will come in when I do medical intuitive work on occasion. And I'll feel a rustle behind me and I'll point to the empty air and I'll say, hi, I'd like to introduce you to my father, Dr. Dorkin, who was a great cardiologist when he was alive and he still does consults. Um, I was in upstate New York years ago and I know nothing about medicine. I was a theater major. And a woman who was a nurse still at 74 said, do me a favor, just check and see what you get. And I felt the rustle and I introduced him. And I closed my eyes and what came out of my mouth is what's with the T waves. She looks at me. Her last electrocardiogram had abnormal T waves. What did my father do for 30 years at Cooper Hospital in Camden, New Jersey? He was director of the heart station, reading EKGs all day. So I just look over my shoulder at the empty air and I say, you know, you're still a pretty damn good doctor, even if you are dead. He laughs. So that's one spirit guide. I have other ones. So they're your team. A lot of spiritualists will say that you have your spirit team. And there are four or five different uh, assignments to them. So are any of us right? Maybe. Will we know? Yeah, after we're dead. Yep. So basically everyone's got their specialty basically so whatever you need them for different ones come forward then mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay my um, original guides were people i flew with a hundred years ago i've got an idea what i think some of my past lives were but i, I was hoping to validate it and what mm -hmm. what i was getting was nothing like what i was expecting to get um, Why was that? Well, what I was seeing in my head pretty much looked like something out of the 70s. But I was already alive in this body at that point. So, unless I've got, unless what I've read were, 
your soul can be in two bodies at one time and they're overlapping or something. It can. That's called a double drop. It's called a double drop. Okay. I'm having trouble enough wrapping my head around the original reincarnation thing. So having two lives going at the same time, then I really wouldn't be able to focus. Ow. Think about it. Do you think we're smart enough to get it all done with one life? No. We have to have a lot. Right. But doing two at the same time just seems like, yeah. I, I think you've got to be a pretty special soul to be able to handle that, I would think. But I don't know about special, but a soul that wants to learn a lot fast. Yes. I don't know where to start with you. There's so much here. Um, one of your articles said that you should not Thank you. save someone from themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm the uh, father of a drug addict, so that one kind of hits home for me. Um, He's uh, had that issue for 25 years now. and uh, It doesn't mean you can be happy that he's a drug addict. It's not that Right. Bad. No, I'm not, definitely not happy, but it's like after all this time, you know, you don't know what to do. It's like I want to help him. You know, I want to just go grab him and bring him over here and let him live with me and fix him and all this stuff. But then another part of me says, no, all that's going to do is drag me down too. So... Which is correct. They, I mean, this is this is actually just psychology, and good intuitives know when it's wiki woo and when it's shrinkstick. Now, if you constantly save him, he doesn't have to face consequences. They they say in AA, you have to hit rock bottom before you believe you can rise, and this may be the case with your son. Um, why he chose on a soul level. To be a drug addict this time, there could be a million reasons. Yeah, that's what I keep telling myself, is there's something here he's supposed to be learning, and that's and that's why. Um, because, yeah, everything everything I've tried over the years just doesn't work. So, uh, so yeah, I just got to resign myself to that fact, I guess. Um, Remember that the soul is fine. There's nothing wrong with his soul. The way I explain the difference between the soul and the incarnations, I take an actor. Let's take Matt Smith. Matt was the 11th doctor in Doctor Who. He was my doctor. But when he was done with a bow tie and the two short pants, for two years he put on the outfit for Prince Philip and was Prince Philip in the crown. When he was done playing Prince Philip, he hung up the maritime uniform, and now he's some whack job in House of the Dragon. Matt Smith is like our higher self. The doctor, the prince, and the whack job are our different incarnations. They are totally different from each other. They wouldn't meet. They are like literally totally different people, but they are roles that Matt Smith played. And those incarnations are roles that the higher self plays in order to bring back certain information. I still think my favorite's the fourth doctor from way back when. So. <laughs> Tom Baker. <laughs> Definitely. And whenever I think of it, it's Tom Baker. Of course, but I'm from the uh, the time frame Class, of Dark it's Shadows. Classic era. Yes, yeah, dark, dark, shadows. dark Shadows. I love it. Bar, yeah, Barnabas Collins. <laughs> Barnabas. Yep. Yes. Yep. It's great. One of the things that I also read was 
you said that we may choose two lives simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And and is that just to finish the course quicker? It's like maybe I don't know. I college know and high school at the same time. I know that I, my soul, split, and there is somebody else. I don't know if they're dead now because I learned it twenty years ago. But it was a New Zealand sheep farmer with five sons and an alcohol problem. In this life, my mother was an alcoholic, cross addicted with barbiturates. So obviously, there is something about being an alcoholic, being around an alcoholic, that my soul is trying to get its its learning around. Okay, I will never meet that other person, but it's two different pieces of information. That's all. Yeah, um, I grew up around all them alcoholics too, so I know uh, what you're saying there. Um, so you've said you've been on how many podcasts now? I've, I've guested on 400 in the past eight years. Okay. And then you've hosted your own, right? For two or three years, I was over on the old Empower radio. And now I'm doing what I call short pod bites on the psychic yellow brick road. And they come out every Monday and they're in here no more than 15 minutes or so. And I do it because a... I love doing podcasts. B, I'm funny. And C, it has been, des- you know, we now have a an attention span of eight seconds. Goldfish have 12. So we have less than a goldfish. <laughs> so How do they know people, that? They've done tests. <laughs> so, you know, if somebody is waiting in line in the drive-thru at McDonald's, they'll have nine, 10 minutes to sit and listen to a pod bite. And if I plant a seed for information, that's great. That's all I need. That's all I need. That's good. So, uh, yeah, when we get done here, you can give me all these addresses and everything because we need to know where to where to find all that stuff. It's um, all in my signature block in the email. Peace, Kate. So I'm just, uh, just looking up and down your... Uh, your website here. So certified tarot master. Mm-hmm. How does one become a tarot master? You read forever and ever and ever and ever. Um, I was originally a certified professional tarot reader through the Tarot Certification Board of America, which is now off in the ethers. That was a three hour exam. There used to be. Um, and in that, I mean, I read for three hours and it's not just, can you read the cards? It's, can you invent your own spreads? What are your ethics? How do you help a client figure out the right questions? When do you say no? Because it's not your job to do that kind of thing. Certified Tarot Master is I've just been literally reading tarot for half a century. I've taught people. Uh, I, I read constantly. I mean, before COVID, um, I used to be on the road 45 weekends a year. I put 45,000 miles a year on the car, and my nickname was the Travel Channel. <laughs> That's a lot of tarot That's cards. funny. <laughs> so, so basically, Certified Tarot Master has been there, done that, sold the franchise, teaches it, um, talks about it. You know, we're there. And we got to pass it on to the young. I mean, I'm 68. I'll be 69 in March. I'm not going to be around in no. 30 years. 
two magic words, darling. No children takes 10 years off your looks right there. But I need to start passing things on to the next generation. Well, I bought my I bought my first book, my first deck here. So now I'm I oh, gotta figure out. deck is great. I got to figure out what the heck it is and what I'm looking at. But yeah, I love the artwork on there. So I had to grab that. Um, so you're also a psychic and a medium. Mm-hmm. Two different and things. I was going to say, for, for those who don't know the difference, can you just explain the, the yep. difference? All mediums are psychic, but not all psychics are mediums. Mediums talk to your dead aunt Mabel. It's different from a channel. Because a channel will bring down information from guides and ETs and all of that stuff. Mediums talk to dead people. Psychics are people who use abilities, the sixth sense, and we get information that your five senses wouldn't normally get. To be a psychic medium means you do the whole thing. Okay. So psychic, you're just basically... You're not you're using having a conversation. You're senses. just gaining information. So, okay. Right, right. Um, um, mediums, I will not do mediumship generally in a gallery because my mediumship is a little different. I don't just go fish. I get someone's dog tags. So I get right to them. For instance, my father, Jerome Richard Dorkin, who died in 2001 at the age of 80. Then my, my guides play charades. I have no idea why. But it's things like someone smoked, they had surgery, there was an accident, whatever. And as soon as we know that we are getting the right person, I open up the door and they can talk to them immediately. Um, There was a, a reading recently that a woman's husband had died and I got him pretty standard stuff. And she said, I'm worried because he hasn't been dead a year, but I'm starting to see anybody and I want to know how he feels. Now, see this face? Grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I have manners. What came out of my mouth from him was, well, honey, you can't screw a corpse, so I think it's fine. (laughs) She was on the floor because his nickname was Dirty Dan. That is exactly the kind of thing he would have said, not me. But some of the stuff, um, especially if it's, there's things that would be appropriate to come out of someone who's African-American, but not this mouth, you can't do that in public. But I've had that happen too. What I had said was flawless urban robotics, should not be out of this space. Her partner in front of me laughed and said, that is what Isabel used to say every time she walked into the house after a business trip. Now, past life galleries, I've done. Um, you know, 75 people in a room, people start handing me an obsession, a phobia, a person, a place, and I can usually download pretty fast um, information for them. And that, because it's a past life, is easier to do in a public setting. Okay. Um... I mean, my thought, not knowing any better, I would just think that if when you're really good at with your skill in a public setting, you're just going to have this line of spirits out the door waiting to for their chance to get a hold of you, I would think. Well, that's for mediumship. Past lives are different. Um, people say, well, why do I want to know a past life? How can it help me now? 
perfect example. Um, there was a woman who came to me and said, look, my son is 29. He won't make a decision without me. He won't live more than a mile away from me. This is really weird. What's going on? And so I dropped into trance about 30 seconds. I said, okay, I'm seeing 1944 Utah beach. So this is D-Day. Your son is one of the soldiers on the beach. He's down. He's got shrapnel in his leg. He's bleeding pretty badly. You're his commanding officer. You reach over, you drag him over one of the dunes to safety. You take some shrapnel too, but you both live. And I opened my eyes and she says, do you see my rank? I said, yeah, you were a sergeant. She goes, he's called me Sarge since he was three years old. And we never knew where that came from. <laughs> that is great. It's things like yeah. that. Now, you know, people say, how do you know what you want to do? Because we can't do everything. When you take your draft notice from the universe, you accept the, the greetings telegram. It goes rifling inside you to see what you're good at. Me, theater major at Brown University, acted in New York. I understand character arts. Words are my drug of choice. I'm a writer, so I can tell the story. And I have adored history since I was a wee thing in single digits. That's why I'm good with tarot and oracle cards, which tell stories, and past lives. Because you can have somebody else who's good with the past life but they don't have my history background. Show us the same picture. They're gonna say, well, it's a long skirt and a big hat and you're in front of some fancy building in Europe. So I think this is maybe 19th century. I could see the exact same thing and go, hobble skirt, picture hat, that kind of ostrich feather. You're in front of the Brandenburg gate. That's gonna be Berlin in 1911 or 1912. On the other hand, do not ask me to do spirit art because I cannot draw a stick figure with a sharp pencil and a lot of prayer, not my wheelhouse. Yeah, I can't draw either. Um, okay, so now I'm begin now I'm wondering, as far as finding out information about past lives, after reading Michael Newton's books, I thought, okay, mm -hmm. hypnosis is the way I need to go if I want to find anything out like that. I didn't realize till your website that you do past lives and that others do too. I just, I've seen psychic medium... And I, retrieval. Yeah. There's a difference. What I do is retrieval. You must never get regression done except by a certified hypnotherapist or past life regressionist. Because if you get if you see a grisly death that was yours or a real trauma, like a woman sees a gang rape, they can pull you back enough so that you observe but do no longer feel it. Okay. Um when, some people just don't want to even get that close, but they want the information. I'm the one, you know, they say, why am I afraid of oatmeal? I go up to the Akashic and say, here, read chapter two. So they get the information, but it is not as scary visceral. And that's legitimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's basically what I'm thinking too, is I, I want the information, but I don't necessarily need to live through my death over again. <laughs> But then again, if that's how I get into the LBL spirit world part of it, and I got to go through that to get there, then I'm all for that. But um, not everyone so, is that yeah, courageous. Maybe I need to. Yeah, I'd like to, but apparently I can't focus enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Okay, so what else we got here? You've been at this for 50 years. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, Since Moses you're was an ordained Irish. minister. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. So, um, your thoughts on karma. I see you've, you've mentioned it here. Mm -hmm. um, karma what, is not carrot and stick. I was going to say, what exactly work, is your description of it? Yeah. Karma is learning. All right. When I worked with Robert Schwartz, karma was five things that now, you know, he's gone on. He's got his wife working with him now. He's got all kinds of other stuff. But my understanding from the work we did is karma is healing service contrast, unbalanced energy, or healing of beliefs. And the example that I use to show it's not bad karma and good karma is Ryan White. You remember Ryan White? He was the kids that got AIDS from a blood transfusion in the late 80s, early 90s, before we really understood anything. So his family was treated like pariahs, you know, how evil he is. Look at this. This kid has. Um, the kid did his best with it. Family met Elton John, who basically adopted them, became very close to Ryan. When Ryan died, Elton played at his funeral. Ryan inspired Elton to go get clean off drugs, alcohol, sex, anger management, you name it. And then Elton created the Elton John AIDS Foundation, which since then has raised half a billion dollars for AIDS and HIV research globally. The old way of thinking about Ryan White was he must have been terrible. That was bad karma that he got that. The new way is realizing his soul looked at the possibilities and said, short life, painful, but look at what can result from it on the other side. So we say that Ryan had a karma of service and that he was a courageous soul. So as long as we're on that subject, um, mm -hmm. can you explain what pre-birth planning is? Yep. People say, how can we have pre-birth planning and free will? Well, you go to college. When you go to college, you decide to be a physics major. That's your pre-birth planning. But then you can graduate either by taking a bunch of gut courses or double major plus lab. That's your free will. It are the, it's the decisions you make in the life incarnation you're in that will help you learn the easy way or the hard way. But at the end of your life, you will have learned enough that you'll graduate. You will have pulled the information that the soul is looking for, for what it asked this incarnation to do. And uh, yeah, for those who, who aren't familiar with all of that, uh, reincarnation is basically you just keep living one life after another until you've learned everything you need to learn. Um, and uh, You don't. The soul does. People need to make that difference. You know? Corby, Al, we are one and done. Our particular recipes will never be down here again. When we cross over, all of the stuff that we've learned gets pulled and this personality gets hung in the back of the closet. So how do we know it's personality and what's the soul? Well, let's look at my father again. When he comes in to do the work with me, he still does terrible puns. His incisive medical knowledge, his compassion for patients, that's all still with him. That's the soul. What 
was specifically for the personality to learn from that has been dissipated. His depression, anxiety, and hypochondria gone. There's no need for that up there. The more we are in our positive, compassionate, loving, altruistic soul, the more what we are down here will be retained when we go up or go out. Not much. Okay. Yeah, because I I was always thought of it as your your body or whatever, your mind, whatever has its own little thing. And then when you add your spirit to it, that's mm -hmm. your personality, basically, is the two of them put together is the way I always thought of it. Um, personality but, is how the soul reacts to the challenges of a life. That's ego. Personality is ego. All right. Let's see. What else about you? What else? Books. You've written books. Yep. You are an author. What have you what have, yes. what, have, what have you written? What do we need to What do we well, need I've to written get? three books. The first one is actually a self-help book. It's called Clean Out Your Life Closet: Clarity, Adaptability, Simplicity, and Making Friends with Stress. But I don't say do everything I tell you when it all gets better. I haven't lived your life. So each chapter is here's some of the dumb things I did. Here's maybe a client story. And here are some suggestions. But then each chapter in the back has questions that you have to answer based from your own life experience. Okay? Let's take the chapter, How Perfect Destroys Good. Three questions in the back. Where do you beat yourself up most often? Why? Reimagine one of those times with the idea that good can triumph over purpose. Per uh, perfect. How does it look now? How would your life change if you stopped thinking perfection was the only correct response to a project or a situation? It's not on page 82. You learn from your own life on that one. And I did that because self-help books basically take away our power. I remember my first one when I was 13 in 1968. And to this day, I remember the same paragraph. Judy has a groovy wardrobe. Her makeup is fab and her hair is far out. But nobody likes Judy because Judy's fat. Right there, hundreds of thousands of young American girls were told, if you don't look thin, you are being worthless. More damage. So that's why I wrote that, to help overcome that. The other two books are psychic stuff. Um, one of them is The Psychic Yellow Brick Road, How to Find the Real Wizards and Avoid the Flying Monkeys. And that is not how to be a psychic, but how to find a good one. What we can do, what we can't, what questions to ask, when to run kind of thing. And I did that because of a show I did in Canada 18 years ago. 250 booths. And a woman was walking down the aisles looking at us. And one of the fake gypsies was there. And she comes running out from her booth and she grabs this woman. And in show parlance, that's called hooking. And it's as bad as the other kind of hooking. And she goes, oh, you no need to pay $30, $40, $50. I need your palm for 10. Come, drags the woman behind the screen. 20 minutes later, we see this woman leaving, crying hysterically. We rush over. What happened? The gypsy said, oh, you have a family curse. How many in your family? Four. You have dog? $50 every family member. 25 for dog. He's small. We fix. And told the woman if she didn't burn 400 specially blessed candles at the Roman Catholic Church, I bless real good. Only $1 candle. Her entire family was going to die in a car accident in two weeks, and she bought it. 
That book was specifically written to save people from that kind of stupidity. And the third book, if you're nuts enough to want to do what I do professionally, it's called You've Got the Magic Who Needs a Genie. And it's absolutely everything I learned from being on the road for 18 years. Everything. It's the only professional book for psychic businesses that I think is out there. Hmm. Yeah, I don't recall ever hearing of a of a book on how to be a psychic, basically. Well, it's not how to be a psychic. It's how to be a professional psychic. Professional psychic, yes. And, you know, I mean, I go through things like how to set up your booth, how to choose your shows, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I also have little things in here called Corby Gets Candid. And these are the things that I've learned from being out there that are not going to be in normal books. For instance, a decade ago, I received an anonymous death threat on my show table one morning from someone who did not take kindly to my reading the day before. Because we had their handwriting on my sign-in sheet, and I have an example of that in the back of the appendix, and the note, we were able to match the two up, and the promoter, as was proper, turned it over to the police. No, it is not all Glurpy Purple with Angels Kids. It's the world. I've had rotten fruit thrown at me by evangelicals walking in to do a psychic fair. There have been things like that. Those people type of people are, are just looking for trouble, apparently. But. but these days especially, they feel like they have a right to judge and condemn. I mean, recently, it was even in the New York Times, there's a woman who ran a, a shop and did terror readings in Hanover, Pennsylvania. And the police strolled in and said, you know, this is illegal. We catch you doing it again. You're arrested. Rule was on the books for 60 years. They pull it out every once in a while because it feels good to threaten people. Yeah, I just, but yet they're the first ones to complain about tolerance and stuff too. So, uh, yeah. All right. We won't go down that path. <laughs> okay. So as far as your books, it says mm -hmm. that you can download a free chapter. Mm -hmm. Okay. The old try before you buy. So basically, I just wanted you to come on so we could chat. We could just have a talk. And what uh, what do you need to get out there for people to know about? Basically, I really would like people to go find um, the new podcast. It's on iHeartSpeaker, Apple, etc. It's also on YouTube on my YouTube channel, which is Corby Midlife. Because those are little bits that you can learn from. Uh, the one that was out today was um, don't ask a psychic about your death or anybody else's. Uh, we're going, we had one how to um, learn from us, you know, breakup from a spiritual perspective. We're going to have ones, uh, the three tarot questions to ask for 2024, things like that. And there's also just basically my philosophy, things like dare, don't compare, drive-by psychic shootings. Uh, you know, you can't get it wrong. I, if I can just pass on a little bit of knowledge, make someone start to think, I'm thrilled. Good, yeah. Um, I see you got one here. How to recognize your soulmates. 
So that sounds really interesting, and I'm going to have to check that out. Uh, seeing as I'm uh, twice divorced and now dating, <laughs> it'd be nice to figure it out if I could get it right this time. So, but a lot of people, third time is the charm. You want to give us all your uh, all your information, all your addresses, all the all Very the good simple. stuff, everything they, they need to know. Al, Al, they can't avoid me. It's that simple. The website is corbymitlide.com. You can find me on Facebook, Corby Midlight at Fire Through Spirit. Pinterest, Instagram, YouTube, Medium, it's all Corby Midlight. And if you want to work with me, um, literally take some classes with me, that's patreon.com. And I, uh, I definitely appreciate you coming on. It was all a right. pleasure. The big orange monster, but not my